somebody, God's been so faithful. Has he been faithful to you? In your valley, has he been faithful to you? In the midst of trouble, has he been faithful to you? When you were messing up, was he still faithful to you? Come on, give him a hand praise. He's worthy. Hallelujah. I'm so glad for his faithfulness. You've been so faithful. Lord, we praise you today. We celebrate your faithfulness. That's a big reason why we push our way out this church. is just to celebrate your faithfulness. Thank you for filling this place and this atmosphere with your presence. Now come closer, would you? Thou who has made creation and showed up in your son Jesus and lives with us and among us in the Holy Ghost. Come a little closer. Take this broken piece of flesh that I am, that you are so intimately acquainted with, and despite all my inadequacies, work a miracle and fill me with your spirit. And bring a word, would you? That be enlightening and transformational and sanctifying for all of us, including the preacher, even in the middle of our sufferings. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, come on, let's give him another hand praise. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Boy, aren't we worshiping today? Isn't this good church? (laughs) Back in the little town I grew up in, this is what we call good church. The Holy Ghost moving among us. Praise God. Open your Bibles. Let's get... Busy, open your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. We'll begin our reading at verse 18. Let me offer my words of gratitude to our guests who are with us. If you're looking for a church home or just a place to hang out with no pressure to join, our hearts are open. We're grateful that you're with us, and may you find this a safe place to discern what God is saying to do next. Thanks for standing to honor The reading of God's word. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 8. There's about 21 verses here. We're not going to read them all. I'm going to skip through them. So just follow with me. Verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing. Somebody say nothing. Compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning, say groaning, as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, say groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope, say eager hope. For the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Verse 26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings, say groanings, that cannot be expressed in words. Verse 28, And we know, somebody shout, we know, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose 
for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be firstborn among brothers and sisters. Verse 31, I love this. What shall we say to such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be ever against us? Somebody shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. That's shouting material right there. Good God Almighty. Verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or, or persecuted or hungry or destitute or danger or threatened with death? Verse 37. No. Somebody shout no. no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing, say nothing, can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for the day or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing, shall nothing, in all creation will ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Shout amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Tell somebody that's great news. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Let's see, can we unpack this text? Repeat with me, if you will. Sanctify me in the midst of my suffering. Let's say it again. Sanctify me in the midst of my suffering. That's the prayer I want you to leave here praying. First of all, I want to just say a word of celebration and gratitude for the last two weeks. We had extraordinary two weeks of discipleship conferences. More than half of our worshiping population showed up to be reset and renewed and refocused. And so let's give God a hand praise for our participants and teachers and speakers and facilitators. Job well done. Most of you know that prior to our discipleship conference, conferences, we were in a series called How to Get Through What I'm Going Through. And today we will resume that series. Four weeks prior to the conference, four of those four weeks prior to the conferences, uh, I spent time talking about how to get through what you're going through. This series that was inspired by the tragedy that Pastor Rick Warren and his family is going through with the suicidal death of their son, Matthew, 27 years old, but informed by the horrendous stories of sufferings that I hear in this congregation week after week after week. Let me share one of those stories as a way of framing both what we have learned over the course of the last four weeks prior to the conferences, but also the center us in today's message. Last weekend, I was told about a young lady whose name is Abigail, 12 
years old in the seventh grade who shared her testimony in GX, our high school ministry. It was such a powerful testimony that they came back and they told me about it. And I got busy and looked her up and gave her a call. She had just finished her surgery a day or two on the other side of the surgery in the hospital when I talked to her. And then a few days ago, I called and had a second conversation. And in that conversation, she shared with me her full story. And both she and her parents gave me permission to share it with you. It is both a story of suffering and sanctification. Her name is Abby. And she shared both with me and those who listened last weekend that at the age of six years old, she was just a precocious, wonderful, beautiful, young, six-year-old baby girl. But her behavior started to shift, and she started to get regularly sick, nauseated, and depressed, isolating. Her family took her to the doctor several times, and the doctors concluded nothing really major was wrong. She her mother had been in a hospital for an extended stay. Her uncle had just recently died, and so they just concluded it was depression. But after a few trips to the doctor, her eyesight began to, to go. And so they took her back to the doctor, and they did an MRI and discovered that she had a tumor that was growing in her head, and it was resting on her optic nerve. And so they immediately did not one but two surgeries, but despite the surgeries, she lost complete vision. And from six to today, she is completely sightless, visually impaired, visually challenged. And so she was sharing with uh, GX on last weekend that she was now scheduled to go for a third surgery because over the past several weeks, she has started to have hearing trouble. And they did another MRI and discovered that her tumor had grown twice its size and was now threatening her hearing. And what she said to the young people, she basically said, I don't know how this thing is going to come out. But she said, I gave my life to Jesus at six years old. And despite all of my sufferings, I know that he has always been with me and he's always been working his will in the midst of my suffering. I'm talking about this little 12-year-old girl, y'all. And she quoted her favorite passage. She says, uh, it's, it's Psalms 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Uh, why should I be afraid? And so she said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know whether I'm going to make it through this surgery. I don't know whether I'm going to come out both sightless and without hearing. I don't know whether or not I'm going to die at some point in the future, she said. But ultimately, I'm not worried about it. I'm trusting God now. And if I die, I'm going to be all right because I'm going to be with God then. I told her the other night as I talked to her, I said, Abby, you are my shero. You know what a she, you know, a hero is the guy. A shero is the girl. And I mean it. Abby, that 12 year old girl, she's my shero. So over the last four weeks prior to the conferences, we were exploring how does a believer proceed to work through Great, extraordinary loss 
like the loss of a loved one to death, or the loss of a limb, or the loss of eyesight like Abby has experienced, or the loss of a career, or the loss of a house due to some tornado or flood or financial foreclosure, or the loss of a dream, maybe a dream inside of a marriage. The marriage exists, but the dream is dead. How does a believer work through that kind of unimaginable loss and come out on the other side more like Christ, the Savior, and less like Dexter, the serial killer? (laughs) How do you work through it? And we said that For that person, you and me, because we all have times of great suffering, that there are seasons we have to work through. The first season was shock. It's that that season where we just are in denial. We just can't believe that what has happened has really happened. And then we have to work through the season of deep sorrow and depression when we don't want to be around anybody. We just want to isolate and we're... Our life is full of tears and full of brokenness. Then we have to work through that season of struggle where we are wrestling with God and wrestling with ourselves and wrestling to try to understand who who we are going to be on the other side of this suffering. And then if we somehow can get, if somehow we can get through the season of shock and get through the season of sorrow and get through the season of struggle and then maybe we can get through the season of what I call surrender. Everybody say surrender. Oh, it doesn't happen right away. It takes months. You know, we start with it. It takes months to get there. But but if we can get there, we can accept what we cannot change and find peace. And then if we don't give up, somebody say don't give up. You know, I'm talking about from the beginning of the suffering to some of y'all right now, there's going to be tears that have been shed. There's shaking your fists at God. There's there's crying. There's screaming. There's wanting to quit. There's wanting to give up. But if you just don't give up, if you just keep coming to church, keep reading your Bible and keep going to your growth group and let people get around you and pray for you and, and keep crying, but keep coming and Keep crying, but keep searching and keep crying, but keep praying and you'll finally get to a point. Uh, It may be a year, it may be a year and a half, but you'll get to a point in the middle of your suffering where God will be able to sanctify you right in the middle of your suffering. Everybody say sanctify. How do I position myself for that? What is sanctification anyway? Well, in order to understand this, you have to understand what is God's number one goal for your life. Ask somebody, do you know what God's number one goal is for your life? Ask them. Thank you. Now, the person who was asked, say, I'm glad you asked. Tell them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he
Here's God's number one goal for your life and my life. The life of a believer. Is that we become just like Jesus, his son. That's the number one goal. Now, Romans 8, 29, focus it for us. This is what he says. He says, God uh, knew his people in advance and chose them to become just like his well, what's the big deal in coming, becoming just like Jesus? Well, if you go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, you'll find something unique about Jesus. It says that Christ is the visible image. Everybody say image. That word means reflection of the invisible God. And then when we read that, that ought to trigger your memory. And you go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, all the way back to the beginning, before there was sin, before there was evil, before there was disruption of God's plan, all the way back to the beginning, and you'll hear God say, let us make human beings in our own, what? Image, reflection. And that text tells us that God's original intent for you and for me was that in our character and in our properties, we would reflect God. Not be God. Not be little gods. But people should be able to see us and see a reflection of God. Somebody say original intent. So, here is the good news of what Paul is trying to bring to us when he says that God knew his people in advance, and chose us to be just like his son. Here's what Paul really saying. Listen to him. Paul is saying that God has a tenacious goal to help you become exactly what he originally intended for you to be before all hell broke loose in your life. You obviously didn't hear that because that be shouting material. I, I, let, let me see, can I break it, break it down for you so you can get this. Uh, Paul says that God's intention, despite the abuse and despite the rape, despite the loss of jobs, despite the loss of dreams, despite trouble in the home and despite the divorce and despite the rebellious child, despite being single and can't find anybody. God says, Paul says, despite all of that, God has decided that he's going to still, if you love him and if you commit to him, he's going to still make you what he originally intended for you to be despite all of that. And we get a picture of what God intends for each of us in the person of Christ. Well, two texts here in the Roman, they help us to see this. Listen, this is what's meant when verse 18 says, Yet uh, what we suffer now is nothing, say nothing, compared, watch it, to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Despite where I am now, if I'm connected to him, he still intends 
to get me to where he always intended. This is what's meant in verses uh, 19 through 23. Verse 19 through 22 essentially says that all of creation has been messed up by the sin of humanity. And that creation is not what God intends. And then verse 23 puts it, says that even believers have to live our lives uh, in the midst of a broken world. And, 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 and even believers like creation, we find ourselves grown. And listen to what the verse says. The verse says, uh, uh, and also we believers grown. Although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, yet our bodies long to be uh, set free from sin and suffering. Right now, some of you are longing in your physiology and in your spirituality and in your psychology. You're just wishing you could be set free from the sin of your yesterday and the suffering of this day. The text says you're longing. You're groaning. And then it keeps going. It says, and there's another point. This speaks to the Abbey story. Listen, this is another point. It says, and, and two, we wait with eager hope. Everybody say eager hope. We waited eager hope for, for, for the day when God will give to us our full rights as his adopted children. Come on now. Including, here it is, the new bodies he promised. Oh, Lord. Isn't that good news? Let me put it where you can get it. Abby, a tumor showed up out of nowhere. Messed with God's intent. Abby, Blindness has afflicted your life and your current body and your circumstances mess with God's intent. Abby, you're struggling with hospital visits and all of that. But Abby, you're right that the day will come when God will work both in this life and through death. And he will take you into a future glory. And in that future glory, he's going to give you a new body, new eyesight. Come on now. Oh, Lord, you lost a leg, new leg, new heart. Come on. He's going to get you to where he originally intended for you to end up at. But watch it. Starting now. Don't wait till you die. God starts now. Right in the middle of your current suffering. Moving you. If you believe. If you commit. If you love him. He will move you. Towards what he always intended. I talked to Abby. I said. Abby tell me. About your hobbies. She said well. A number of things she said she likes to do. She likes music. And she says she likes art. And then she said she likes cooking. Now she's without vision. And I say, cooking? She said, oh, yes. She said, I love to cook. She said, I go into the kitchen, and my mom has been teaching me over the last couple of years how to cook. And she said, I just enjoy cooking up a storm. 
Oh, did you catch it? Despite the tumor, despite the blindness, God says, I will meet you where you are, Abby. And if you will believe in me and have faith in me, I'll start moving you towards where I always intended for you to be. Get in that kitchen and cook, girl. All right. Everybody say sanctification. Here's an undeniable truth. Real suffering, deep suffering, heart-wrenching and heart-shattering suffering will change you. There's no if and buts about it. It will either make you bitter or it will make you better. If you are a believer, and if you are connected, real soul-shattering suffering will either be the place where you become more like Christ, or it's the place where you become more like the devil. That might have been too hard for you. Let me soften it. It's the place where you become more like Christ. By that we mean sanctification. Or you become more or rather less than Christ. Father from Christ. By that we mean human deterioration. So suffering will either drive you into sanctification. Or it will drive you into Human deterioration. Divine sanctification or human deterioration. It will do one or the other. It will either, in the absence of happiness, teach you to have joy. Or it will drive you to be an angry person. Suffering. It will teach you to be loving Or it will drive you to be hateful and insensitive. It will teach you real peace. Or it will drive you to be a person whose life is always anxious and distressed. It will teach you to be more faithful. Or it will drive you completely away from God. Sanctification is becoming more like Christ. Human deterioration is the opposite direction. Abby has found sanctification right in the middle of her suffering. Because as you talk to her, all I heard was love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, the spirits of the fruit of, come on out, the fruit of the spirit. All I could see was a picture of Christ in that 12-year-old girl. And she was sanctified and is right in the middle of her suffering. How do I 
And how do you position yourselves to be sanctified right in the middle of broken life? What do you need to do? Right in the middle of your mistakes that have stolen from you opportunities. Right in the middle of your nightmare that never ends. Right in the middle, come on, of your hope that has turned into despair. How might you position yourself that you might be sanctified? Well, three things. And it comes right out of verse 28. And we got to unpack it. Here's the first thing. Everybody say, remember God has a greater plan. That's the first thing. Remember, God has a greater plan. All right, let's write it in this text. Listen, Paul said, and we know that God causes everything. Stop. If you stop there, you just messed up your theology. And we know that God causes everything. If you stop there, you've just messed up your theology. I talked to Abby's mom as well and her dad. Amazing people. And her mom says, you know, the Abby that you have met these couple of times is exactly who she is 95% of the time. But every now and then, as you would expect, she reverts to being a little girl. Not, not, a, not the Abby who's 12 years old with the maturity of a 27-year-old. That's who I met. But every now and then she slips into being, you know, just a regular 12-year-old girl. And she grabs me, her mom says, around the waist. And she looks at me. And she says, Mom, why? Why the tumor? Why is it inoperable? Why the blindness? Why did God do this? Her mom talks to her, and her mom says, in just a matter of a few moments, Abby makes the shift. And she's back walking in the mainstream of her faith. Is there anybody here who knows that story in your own life? Let me talk to Abby for a minute. Because this is appropriate question to ask. Why? For we know that God calls us... Everything, but if you stop there, trouble. Abby, what we learn from verses 19 to verse 23 is that human sin has caused all of creation to be broken. Nothing works perfectly. If you went out into the universe, it's a dangerous place because planets are exploding in various galaxies and suns of sun, uh, stars are burning out and, and asteroids are flying back and meteorites are flying and you can get killed. I, I, I mean, the universe doesn't quite work perfectly as God had intended. Here on earth, the environment doesn't work perfectly. 
That's why we have hurricanes, tornadoes. That's why in India, just a few weeks ago, there was a monsoon that displaced 15,000 people, a flood. That's why in Florida, they have these sinkholes opening up and entire homes are falling in and people are being killed because the environment does not work perfectly. The economy. We live in the greatest economy in the world and in the history of humanity. And yet the economy does not work perfectly. That's why we're digging ourselves out of the Great Depression, right? Now, the government in the greatest democracy that history has ever known, full of Republicans and Democrats who are obviously all broken. Come on now. And these broken folk that now shut down the government, even the government doesn't work. Perfectly. Abby, our human bodies, they do not work perfectly. God has designed them to work a certain way, but they don't work perfectly. They don't work completely the way God intended for them to be designed. That's how it's possible for a six-year-old innocent girl to have a tumor to grow in her brain. That's how it's possible for a six-year-old girl to have a tumor to grow and set on her optic nerve and steal her vision. Because our bodies, our physiology, our bodies, our mental health, our bodies, our psychology doesn't work perfectly. Now, we get a little insight when Jesus teaches the All Father Prayer. We miss it because we read it too quickly. But there's a little part in there that says, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be what? On what? As it is where? All right. That teaches something. Two things. Where God is in perfect charge, His will is always done. That's heaven. But on earth, the reason he says pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, teaches us that on earth, everything that happens is not God's will. Evil is not God's will. Murder and genocide and rape and abuse is not God's will, war and fighting and poverty and poorness is not God's will. Uh, All of the isms in life, oppression that produces sexism and racism and just add all them other isms, not God's will. Tumors showing up in six-year-old girls in their brain sitting on their optic nerve, causing them to lose their sight, is not God's will. It's not how he originally intended. And in the face of this, God weeps. And I believe in the face of some of the craziness, God gets angry. But God is never 
outdone. And God is never undone. All right, let's go back to the text. So you see, God does not cause everything. Everything that happens is not God's will. But, somebody say but. This is the exciting part. God can use everything that has happened to accomplish God's will. Did you hear that? Because we know, you got to finish the reading, that God causes everything to work together. Somebody say together. All right, let me explain it. Some of y'all know that I'm, I used to be a good cake baker. Just checking your memory. <laughs> I'm going to go back to baking cakes in a little while. And I'm going to have some new stories for you. But when you bake a cake, y'all, cake bakers, you know this, a basic cake. Some elements are needed. Flour, eggs, oil, salt, butter. Sugar. Don't forget the sugar. <laughs> if you got so excited that you decided that you didn't want to go through the trouble of actually stirring and baking, and you just wanted to try to get the cake experience by handling the individual elements, you'd go and get some flour and dump it on the plate and just start eating the flour raw. <laughs> Somebody say, not good. Or you take the eggs and crack it and put it in the bowl. Just start eating the raw eggs. Shout, not good. Or you take the oil and pour it into the glass. Say, I don't want to wait through all that trouble. And just start drinking the oil. Shout, not good. Or you take the salt and just dump it on the plate. And just get you a, a spoon and just start eating that salt all by itself. Somebody say, not good. Or you take the sugar, which is kind of good, but if you put a whole lot. <laughs> but if you put a whole lot of sugar on the plate, even though it starts off good, it ends up what? Not good. <laughs> but what happens? See, in their individualities, not good. But if you take all those and put it in a bowl, a greater plan. You see, evil has its plan. Not good. Sin has its plan. Not good. Sickness has its plan. The disease has a course of evolution. Not good. But, 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 but if you take all of that and put it in a greater plan, stay with me, bowl. Start working it together. And it loses its individuality and you begin to force upon it a divine collaboration. 
it loses its distinctiveness and it becomes integrated. And, 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 and before you know it, it, you have facilitated what I call a divine conspiracy. <laughs> you, you, you know what the, word, the root word for conspiracy means? To breathe together. And, 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 and then you beat it, you turn it, and you do it as best as you can, and you get that thing out, and you hook it, and you, and you beat it, and you beat it, and, and, and it calls a batter. But the, it's all mixed up, but it's still not quite where it needs to be. So you got to get an oven, and you got to get some heat, and you got to hook it up to about 300 and some degrees, and then you got to put that thing on in there, and then you got to shut the door, and then you got to step back and leave it alone, and you got to let it wait with eager hope, eager expectation inside of that oven and in the heat come on now a divine conspiracy and there's a larger plan and the bell goes off and the time comes and you open the door and what you have expected could happen you see what we call glory y'all the bag you pull that thing out and it's not an egg it's not oil it's not bad it's all good because it's a cake y'all Y'all with me? Let's go back to Abby. Tumor. By itself. Not good. Resting on the optic nerve. Damaging it. Not good. Lost sight. Not good. Trips back and forth to the hospital. Surgeries. Not good. Tempted to lose her hearing. Not good. Uh, that's the ingredients. But there is a larger plan. Take that and dump it in the bowl. And then put in the bowl her love for God. Her faith in his providential power. Her belief that he still is going to be able to help her become what he had already and always intended for her to be. Put in that bowl God's mercy. Put in that bowl God's grace. Put in that bowl God's un uh, unconditional love. And then put it in the heat of going from age 6 to age 12, but still coming to church in the heat of going from hospital back home, but still praying and reading her Bible, even using Braille in the heat of un unexpected futures and frightening tomorrows, but a faith that's growing in the heat. And then out of the oven, she stands up. And she talks to a whole room full of adults and children. And when she finished telling her testimony, come on now, you got to have a test to have a testimony. Uh, when she finishes, young girls who was only interested in little boys, come on, adults who were just volunteering but hadn't met Christ. When she finished, folk walked out of the room knowing Jesus and a faith that changes their lives. Oh, good. <laughs> so now you understand the verse, don't you? And we know greater plan. God causes 
everything to work together, not for everybody, but for those who what? Love him and are called according to what? His purpose. Come on now. You know what that means. My love connects me to him. And when I'm connected to him, he connects me to his divine purpose. He had a purpose before I was born. Before I was in my mama's womb, I was already in his will. And even though I showed up and some mess happened and my own mess happened, God says, if you love me, come on now and connect me, I'll put you in the bowl of my larger plan. And despite the tumor and despite the blindness, I'll still make you what I always intended for you to be. All right, let me wrap it up. I spend the most of my time on that. That's the big one. These other two points are easy. So number one, remember sin's plan. That's not God's plan. Evil's plan. That's not God's plan. The plan of sickness. That's not God's plan. God has a greater plan. Remember, God has a greater plan. This is how you position yourself to be sanctified in your suffering. And secondly, Reach out for God's invisible hand. How do you do that? Three things. Ask for help from God and others. Watch it. Look for God's tracks in the middle of the suffering. And then learn to give God Thanks, not for the suffering, but as you go through the suffering. All right, let's break it down. I love verse 26, because verse 26 connects with me. Verse 26 says, sometimes life is so heavy and our suffering is so intense that we can't pray. And even if we could... We wouldn't know what to pray. Sometimes life leaves us in a place where my grandmother used to be, where all you have is simply the groans. It's the same groans that creation has, according to verse 21, as it waits to be liberated with the people of God from a cycle of death and decay. It's the same groans that believers have, according to verse 23. It's the groan that you have in the middle of your suffering when you run out of words. No words can describe it. It's just a deep hurt. And out of the deep hurt comes the mmm. I love verse 25 because verse 25 says, and the Holy Spirit will help us in our 26 will help us in our weakness. And when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will take a mm, and a mm, mm. He will take groans that words cannot articulate and, and he will 
He will turn those groans into a language that heaven can understand. And he will pull out of those groans a prayer that connects with God's ultimate purpose, his greater plan. Come on, y'all. And what he's just saying in the midst of your hurt, don't leave the church. Don't turn your back on God. Don't close your Bible. Don't stop singing with the choir. Just take them groans. The divorce groans. The sickness groans. The singleness groans. Take the groan, the broken dream, the broken heart. Take the groan and aim it towards God. And the Holy Ghost will get in it, y'all, and translate it. Hallelujah. It'll make it a prayer. God, help me. But also, God, conform me. God, rescue me. But also, God, make me into what you always intended for me to be. Praise him. Come here, Pastor Eric. There's another word there. In, in verse 23, the second half of the verse, it talks about an eager hope. That's not an intellectual perspective. This is a different kind of hope. If you looked at the tense in the Greek, it would suggest that this is a what I call a helping hope. It's supernaturally uh, uh, empowered. I really think it's the Holy Ghost. Come on now, forming an inspiration on the inside to make us believe when we don't have reason to believe. It's, 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 it's a helping hope. Say helping hope. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Here it is. Come on. Pastor Eric is no longer named there. Pastor Eric. He's named Pastor Hope. Everybody say hello, Pastor Hope. Come on now. He's a helping hope. And I know that when Abby uh, started losing her sight because she believes in God, she started saying, God... Uh, this is my problem. This is the sight. I need you to stop me from losing my sight. But he didn't. I need you to give me my sight back. But he didn't. And just when I'm sure she's getting ready to give up and she talks with her mom, there's no visible scene what happens. But in that conversation, God sends a helping hope. And the helping hope gets on one side of her blindness and one side of her tumor. And she's on the other side. And the helping hope says, God has said he's not going to change your blindness, but he's going to help you. Come on now. And, 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 and so the helping hope helps her to start moving with her blindness. Come on now. Moving towards her destiny. Even though she's got blindness, she's moving, helping hope. Come on now. Uh, moving towards her. Uh, she don't need to be free to get to her destiny because that's what makes God God. Let me prove it. I said, what you going to do 10 years from now? She said, I plan to go to college. I said, well, what kind of career? She said, I don't know. She said, it might come out of my hobbies. She said, you know, I told you, I like music, yes. You like to cook, yes. She said, but I also like art. I said, art, yes. I said, you do it by computer? She said, oh, no. She says, I just, I take stuff I can touch, clay, and, and it's, it doesn't have any form. But I, I don't have no eyesight, but I got plenty of insight. And I just work with that clay. And she said, I, I, I might become a, an artist. She said, she said but, but here's what I really want to do. No matter what, she said, I'm going to do this. I said, what? She said, when I lost my sight, people started treating me like I couldn't do nothing. 
like I was completely helpless. She said, they didn't realize just because I didn't see like they see doesn't mean that I can't see. Come on now. She said, it's just another way of existing. She said, but it's about as easy as the way yeah, they exist. Come on now. She learned Braille, so she reads her Bible in Braille. She knows how to listen and count and move from place to place. Come on now. And so she said that when I get, she said, when I get to a place I can do it, she said, I'm going to start right now. She said, I'm going to advocate for the disabled. And I'm going to tell the world, stop treating disabled folk like they're helpless. Stop treating them like they don't have no gifts. Just because they have one disability doesn't mean that they don't have ten abilities. Oh, y'all ain't listening. Come on now. I'm going to be a champion for the disabled. You see what I'm telling you? God said, I will move the blindness, but I'll help you to move with your blindness into the divine purpose that I always intended. Let me end it here. Find his tracks. He ran ahead of her, crying. He didn't want that blindness, that tumor. But he ran ahead of her and figured out how he was going to use that in his greater plan. Give God thanks. His parents, her parents said, we thank God for our child. We don't thank him for the blindness nor the tumor, but we thank him for this child. Because in her current situation, she has more faith than most of her family. And she's pulling us all closer to Christ. We thank God as we go through it. And then lastly, and I'm finished here. Come on now. Everybody say rest. In God's all-conquering love. Verse 35 says, What can separate us from the love of God? Does it mean that God doesn't love us because we have trouble and calamity and oppression and poverty and hunger and destitute and danger and killing? And then come verse 37, it shouts, everybody say it, no! no! Last story. When I was about 14 years old, I used to spend summers with my grandmother, as you know, and me and my cousin Kenny would be there together. And usually we get into these little fights. And on this particular occasion, we'd gotten into a fight and he and I weren't talking. He was sitting over on the porch, cutting sugar dew porch, which is just a little bit over from my grandmother's trailer. And in this particular occasion, I got surrounded by some of these fellas from the lane up the street. Anthony Turner had brought his boys. And, and I wouldn't call it a fight, y'all. I just said we're just exercising our physical attributes. And, but anyway, they started coming at me, and I was pretty good in, back then in my young days. And I'd kick that one off, and I'd push that one off, and I'd flip that one, and, and all of that. But then the big one came at me, and I started running. We were going back, and he was getting the advantage. And I saw out of my corner of my eye, my cousin got off the porch and started running. I thought he was coming to help me, but he ran past me. <laughs> But ran on up into the house and I could hear him as the big guy was getting, almost getting the advantage on me. I could hear him say, month, month, that's what we call my grandmother. He said, give me my gun. That was his BB gun, y'all. <laughs> and he said, they beating Herman and my cousin. He said, I'm going to take the gun and I'm going to go shoot the big one. Well, y'all, I know some of y'all, y'all not on speaking terms with God. Some of you not on speaking terms because your own sin. Some of you not on speaking terms because he's left you so you think in your suffering. You look for God to come help you, but he ran right by you. And you think you've been left by yourself, but I've got news for you. He didn't leave you by yourself. 
He ran on up on Calvary's hill and he got on the cross and he called for his gun and he picked on the big guy. You know who the big guy is? Death himself. Come on now. Because all this other stuff rose into death. So when he died on the cross, he took on death. And when he got up on the third day, he kicked death out of the way and conquered death with his conquering love. And now there is good news. Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life. I know somebody's been called terminal, but don't worry about that. Neither demons nor angels. I know that the devil is after some of y'all, but don't worry about that. Neither fears for the day or worries about tomorrow or the powers in hell. Nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God. Not power in the sky. Not power on the earth. Nothing shall nothing. I'm more than a conqueror. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? It means I'm not just going to win the battle. I'm going to win the war. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Give God a hand, praise, and stand on your feet. Stand on your feet.